Welcome back to another edition of Classic Coverage, the podcast that looks at classic films back when they were just screenplays. My name is Max Davison. I am your host, and I am... Oh, God, I am screwed. I am... I'm going to get fired. I know that I am. I know that I am. I'm going to get fired today. Um, why? Uh, well, to recap a little bit, you might remember that a few weeks ago I read a script called Thaw. It's about a detective who gets frozen and cryogenically unfrozen. I hated it. My bosses liked it. They decided to option the script. And last week they thought that Antoine Fuqua would be a great choice to direct, which I suppose he would be. And today the story leaked to Deadline. Deadline Hollywood said that this production company is going to be going out with the package with the script and Antoine Fuqua, and that's not supposed to happen. Uh, they shouldn't know about that until we take it out to the studio directly, and my bosses are on just the rampage. They are on the war march to find out who leaked this. And, I mean, I mean, granted, I may have mentioned it last week on this podcast, but I've seen my download stats, and I don't think enough people listen to it. So I don't think it's me, but at the same time, it probably was. So they have been knocking on everyone's door in this production company to try to ask, you know, it's a, it's a witch hunt, but I guess in this case, I'm the witch. And so uh, just now, uh, my boss came over to my desk, which is nestled between the copier machine and the Keurig, and said that they need to talk. I faked that I needed to go to the bathroom, I played the diarrhea card, and I ran over here to the vault. I need this job, you guys. Uh, I, once more, other things aren't working out. My writing career is a joke. Uh, I'm probably not going to get that writer's assistant gig on the new, uh, what, it used to be Fox Family, now Freeform. I'm not going to get that. Uh, I'm, I'm still leasing my Hyundai Sonata Hybrid, and I don't know if I'm allowed to drive for Uber with them. I'm going to have to check with Hyundai. I don't want to get fired, okay? I, 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 like, I, I guess I like this job. I always thought that I hated it, but once it's about to go, you learn to appreciate it. So as I said, uh, I ran down here to the vault, which has all the coverage that has ever been written for the studio, and I figured that I would just look for a movie that I actually liked this time. And, uh, you know, as one last foray into the unknown, I, you know, it's probably the last time I'm going to be at the studio, I can at least read what people thought of one of my favorite movies. And so uh, I found one. It was written in the early 90s. It is adapted from a novella. Uh, it's a movie that I believe, if it isn't number one, it's number two on the IMDb Top 100. One of my favorites, The Shawshank Redemption. The Shawshank Redemption. Screenwriter, Frank Darabont. Page count, 137. Draft date, December 1, 1992. Genre, drama. Comments. Terrible title. No matter how good the script may be, it doesn't transcend the terrible title of Shawshank, whatever the hell that means. I didn't even read the script because there is no way to market a movie called The Shawshank Redemption. Recommendation, pass. At which point I went a little bit deeper into the vault and I found another bit of coverage that was written on the same script and uh, this report was dated one day later after the first one. Title, The Shawshank Redemption. Screenwriter, Frank Darabont based on the novella Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption by Stephen King. Page count 137, genre drama. Logline, wrongly convicted for a double homicide, an accountant goes to prison where he lives out his sentence. Comments, upon learning that the script is based on a Stephen King book, the reader determined that it was, in fact, worth the second look. While there is a good payoff to the script, the first hundred pages of the Shawshank Redemption are so devoid of momentum that it renders the script bland. 
It's too leisurely paced to serve as a thriller, leaving us with two hours of introspection. Until the final 20 pages, there is no story to the script, simply depicting Andy's stay at the prison. It is a character piece masquerading as a prison break film, and it is worth noting that it relies heavily on voiceover narration. The writer seems to be unclear whether this is a movie about Andy's escape or it is one about his time spent at Shawshank. There is not enough action for it to be the first, and the latter is far too uneventful. The script covers 19 years of time in prison in a slow, slow burn, eventually leading to Andy's escape. Compare this to other prison break movies such as Papillon or The Great Escape. There is no sense of urgency for Andy Dufresne to break out of prison. We don't even learn about his escape plot until he finally breaks out. The plot is clever. We get the first instance of Chekhov's Rita Hayworth poster. In the first act, Andy asks for a rock hammer, good laying of pipe, and sets up the uh, the tax scam. The intention is here, but there is no ticking clock. There is no stress. There is no pressure. These are screenwriting 101 sins. The lack of a clear conflict deprives the movie of a first or second act. It isn't until the warden has Tommy killed to keep Andy in prison, page 99, that the script gains a sense of danger. We get our all-is-lost moment on page 105 when Andy loses hope of ever getting out. Get busy living or get busy dying. We finally get a well-structured thriller, but it comes far too late. The supporting cast is strong, stronger than the lead, in fact. Brooks fears parole and doesn't know how to survive outside of Shawshank. Haywood is a likable idiot. And Tommy has a good Tudor Tyro relationship with Andy. Red is a man who knows how to get things. We know this thanks to the voiceover narration that tells without showing. More on this later. As a narrator, he is the character who guides us through the journey, and he has a more pronounced arc than Andy. He's the one who actually learns something, that hope is worth having. The villains, however, are mustache-twirling foes. The warden, farming out slave labor, is a hypocritical Bible-thumper. Captain Hadley, despite showing some signs of humanity, turns out to be a sadistic murderer. While on the nodes at times, the symbolism works. Andy polishes rocks to find their true beauty, much like we do with the inmates. Andy could be seen as a Christ figure, much like McMurphy in One Flew Over's a Cuckoo's Nest. But without a clear goal, Andy Dufresne is a cipher of a character. Despite one rape scene, Andy adapts to life in Shawshank far too easily. He walks in on page 14, and by page 38, he is comfortable. He's a prison Mary Sue. He sets up his job as a tax mastermind and money launderer. Quote, a convicted killer providing sound financial advice. Page 58. He gains trust and he gains friends. He constructs his chessboard out of soapstone, although there is some on-the-nose symbolism with the human chess motif, and begins a library project, which, granted, took six years or 15 script pages. Life in prison doesn't seem particularly terrible. Now, did he do it? Did Andy Dufresne kill his wife and her lover? This ambiguity works against the story. On page 90, Tommy adds the first piece of information about Andy's case. Conveniently, he served time with another crook who claimed to have committed the double homicide. While this information seemingly exonerates Andy, we never get that conclusive proof whether or not he is innocent. As stated before, the reliance on voiceover narration gets very tedious. Nearly every scene either begins with or is punctuated by Red's voiceover. When Andy enters the prison yard, Red offers, He strolled like a man in a park without a care or a worry in the world, like he had on an invisible coat that should protect him, protect him from the place. Show... Don't tell. Don't make the subtext into text. After the opera scene, Red states, It was like some beautiful bird flapped into our cage and made the walls dissolve away. 
and for the briefest of moments, every last man at Shawshank felt free. While this is beautiful prose, there is no place for this in a feature film. On page 84, Andrew remarks, I had to come to prison to become a crook. This is a good line showing that the writer can write dialogue. It also demonstrates why we don't need more of Red's constant voiceover. The script's ending is a good twist, a wonderful payup, but with, payoff, but without much setup. 85% of the script is quiet, navel-gazing introspection, and then we get the big reveal that Andy has been plotting his escape for 19 years. Why can't the whole movie be like the last 15 minutes? Turn this into more of a caper rather than seeing the friendship between Andy and Red. More effort into coming up with the escape. Lay more pipe for when Andy escapes through that literal pipe. And for a second, let's talk about the plausibility of Andy's escape. Could he actually have dug that, dug that tunnel without anyone noticing? Could he have hid his hammer in the Bible and tunneled at night? It's a fairy tale ending to an otherwise grounded story. Much like how Brooks doesn't know how to operate outside of the prison, this script doesn't know how to operate when there is no conflict. Based purely on this script and ignoring the Stephen King pedigree, this is too slow, too introspective, and too devoid of active stakes. Also, for a Stephen King property, it isn't even that scary. We can't market this as a Stephen King adaptation without a killer or a demon or a stalker. At least Stand By Me had a dead body. And seriously, you need to do something about that title. Recommendation, pass. Wow. There you have it. Uh, the studio readers hated The Shawshank Redemption. One of my favorite movies of all time, and it was torn apart. Uh, the movie that made me want to be a writer, and they hated it. This, this, this business is terrible. And I'm not just talking about this job, I'm talking about the business in general. Uh, I don't think there's any escape. When good scripts like this get destroyed, and bad scripts like Thaw are going to get produced, I... I don't know what to think anymore. Uh, maybe I should just go back home and apologize to my parents and start selling insurance like I was supposed to. I, I don't know anymore. And uh, that sound you may have heard was a, was a knocking at the door of the vault, and I hear the voice of the senior VP of development of my production company, and she has found me. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is probably going to be the final episode of Classic Coverage. I thank you for listening all this time, and uh, in case I do get fired, uh, I just want you to remember me for one thing. Stranger Things was bullshit, okay? It was not that good. If I wanted to watch The Goonies or Stand By Me, I would have watched The Goonies or Stand By Me on DVD that I happened to own, okay? Like, the opening titles were good, I love the music, but it is just a pastiche of every 80s cliche. There is nothing original about it. It was awful, okay? So please, uh, if this is the last episode, remember me as the one sane individual who hated Stranger Things. Uh, until then, I'm Max Davison, and uh, even the classics could use another draft. <laughs>